It's FM 104's Switched On. Kieran in for Louise all this week. I am now joined by Leisha McGrath, who is a chartered work and organisational psychologist and a coach. And we are going to chat all things work-life balance. First of all, Leisha, thank you very much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to chat to us. Thanks a million for having me. Great to be here. And hopefully it's not keeping you away from something more fun that would interfere with your work-life balance. It's keeping me away from having to be on the side of a pitch. Is that looking, is that playing yourself or, or looking at other people playing? No, it's bringing the kids. I seem to spend my evenings driving to and from. So at least I'll, uh, I'll skip the driving to and I'll just do the, just do the collecting this evening. Man, so that's all good. That's, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's not too bad though. Happy I can be of assistance to you. Yeah. Um, the importance of work-life balance has been in the media quite a lot um, in the last couple of months, especially with the Work-Life Balance uh, Act that came in only this year. But we'll strip it back, first of all. If you say the phrase work-life balance, what exactly is that? Um, I think what what it is is a reaction to how, in the past, there had been a huge focus on just work. And the need for balance was becoming more and more apparent as our mental health statistics and even our physical health statistics began to nosedive. The five-day working week, the kind of nine-to-five, all of that was is really quite a, in some ways, an old-fashioned setup when there was, you know, her indoors to make the dinner and, you know, there was maybe factory working and all that kind of thing. And in fact, the five-day working week... Um, seem to just grow legs and with the advent of technology as we know people were always on so people were finding it harder and harder to even if you physically left the office you were still um, contactable you were still um, maybe having emails at a weekend in the evening and really the pendulum swung really far the other way such that people were finding that they didn't have a life in some careers not in all of course but in some careers um, you know, breaks were kind of for wimps almost. Really? Is that the kind of the, the way it was in more corporate world, really? Although I have to say, um, my wife uh, used to be a hairdresser and I have never experienced uh, these stories of of hairdressers being the worst people for breaks, literally standing on their feet for 12 hours because they'd have clients coming in over I, and over and over and over again. I'd well believe it. Booked back to back, yeah. all of that. And and particularly when it's such a physical job and you're dealing with Joe Public and you're trying to put, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to obviously, A, not mess up the haircut, but also yeah. you're trying to create a service and an experience. I'd really well believe that, Kieran. Yeah, that, you know, it, it just became a culture thing whereby, um, you know, as I say, you know, lunch was for wimps, people working on their holidays, uh, weekends, evenings, nothing was off bounds. You know, the IT is obviously brilliant and where would we be without it? But, but. I think it came in and we didn't understand the size of the beast that it was about to create. Um, so I think the work-life balance piece or work-life integration, as, as some of us call it now, is, is, is in response to that pendulum having swung too far and people not being able to have as much of a focus on the life part as they might like to. Do you think it's changed at all for the better because of covid um, yeah, it's a really great question, and uh, you know, the, it's still too soon to see the the, the hard longitudinal data. But mm-hmm. certainly, what has come out to date seems to be that um, more and more people and more and more organisations are opting for flexible working arrangements. Workers are, in fact, demanding it. it I mean, flexible working was was around before COVID, but I know even myself dealing with my own clients 
there were so many organizations that were hesitant. They felt that if people were at home, if they weren't seen, um, that they wouldn't be as productive as they might be if they were physically in the office. Obviously, with COVID, they learned that that wasn't necessarily the case. So I think a lot of organizations are trying to find their feet with what a hybrid working relationship is going to look like with with their staff. And in fact, colleagues um, and internal and external stakeholders alike are trying to work out, well, God, how does it work (laughs) when we're not in physicality together or we are or what days? And, you know, just trying to line it all up. Um, So I think COVID has had a massive um, impact on that. And I think the four day working week will also um, have an impact on it as well. Yeah, so talk to me about the four-day four day working week for a second, right? Because I am aware of an organisation that um, some of the staff are on a four-day working week, some of them are on five days, and actually some of the staff that were on the four-day working week pilot have asked to come off it because they're finding their working day is actually too long and it's impacting their life balance at the end of the working week, normal days, never mind yeah. the weekend. Yeah, and again, I think what it is is great, you know, much like IT, the four-day working week is great in, in, in theory, but how do we manage the integration of it? And it's not supposed to be that you do your five hours in four days. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be that you just work four days, that people have uh, teams and resources sufficient to do the work that four days is enough. And actually, there's more of a focus on, on having downtime, on doing work in the community, you know, volunteering, on having time to spend with family, on exercise, all of that. We know from the data that we that we mentioned at the, at the top of our chat together about the nosediving statistics for mental and physical health. We know that that was because without having time to do life, um, the, the, the effect of stress was really having a huge negative impact on our health and in fact on our productivity. So there's such a thing as presenteeism. You know, you can be in the office, but actually you're doing any work. You know, there's definitely, certainly in some of those more corporate type, you know, climb the ladder type organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of evidence that people are, you know, not, very, not doing very much work during the day and then just being around in the evening so that they're seen this is called presenteeism. And that's fine if you're young and you don't have a family and, you know, and, and it's not really costing you anything. But trying to be up against that as somebody who has maybe aging parents, young kids, their own, you know, life to lead. It, it was just having such a negative effect on, on, on our health statistics. So the four-day working week is really, again, a response to that. But it has to be implemented um, in a way that's that's knowledgeable and supported, or or as you say, people will be like, please, please put me back on the five days. I don't want to be working till midnight, you know. But as I say, that's not that's not the intention. How do employers get better at this? So, for example, if people have to say they're if they're on a hybrid model at the minute, you know, maybe they're two days in the office or one or whatever, and they've got a long commute. So, say they moved home during COVID and they haven't mm. moved back to Dublin, right? So they've still got a pretty long commute. Employers surely need to be a bit more flexible and saying, you know what, if you come in at seven, you can leave at three. Uh, maybe we won't book meetings that you need to attend in person, you know, after four o'clock, for example. Do employers still need, is there a, lo- a long way to go for employers to get more comfortable with that type of stuff still? Um, I think so. And remember, you know, we have to remember that 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 much and all of the organisations do absolutely need to support their workers. They're also there 
to serve stakeholders, to serve clients, customers, whatever it is. And, and the employee needs to also show up and fulfill their end of the contract. So I think there has to be give and take. Um, it's, 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 it's important, I suppose, that there's communication, that there's solid relationships, that these discussions can, mm-hmm. can, can be kind of knocked about and, 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 and a, and a um, a conclusion reached that's beneficial for both parties and where I find a focus on what's the output what are we trying to deliver here how can we chunk this up and I think if we can do that and focus on okay so long as you have delivered X project to me by 3 o'clock on Tuesday you know it's up to you when you do it you know so long you know if you have to manage your commute or you have to manage whatever it is um, then I think that's okay people will be receptive to that but I think, you know, this is an issue. The timing of meetings has been an issue um, for a long time. And particularly for a, a, a lot of women, a lot of my female clients will say that this has been an issue. We know from research that it's most of the mothers that pick up, you know, that do the crash runs mm. and the school pickups and whatever else. And they have long been saying, why are the meetings scheduled at half six when people know I'm not there? So I think it's all... You know, all of all of um, the remote working, COVID, four-day working week, all of these things are starting to surface issues, some of which were already there for maybe half the workforce, but it's really coming into trying to find solutions that work for both sides and recognising that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach in every organisation or indeed sector. I think most people think of a, if you get a work phone that you're great and you're climbing up the organisation, only important people have work phones. Yeah. <laughs> I find that if you have a work phone, then the employer might think, well, you must answer that work phone at all hours. Yeah, and that's where, you know, relationships and communication come in again. You have to have boundaries around what that is. And I think there's a difference between if you've got a particular project or a month end or, you know, you're a startup or, you know, there's a, there's an end in sight kind of a thing that you agree to as an employee. Okay, I'll pick up after seven because I understand, you know, that you were just on with the States and, you, did, you know, you didn't have the answer or whatever until after half six, you know, whatever it is. Fair enough if that's a one-off thing. It's the relentless sustained pressure that is, that is causing the higher stress and the, um, you know, the dodgier health statistics to, to, to abound. And this is globally, you know, within the West and with the way that, that we've worked. So I think, you know, absolutely, it's fair enough to have a laptop and a phone if that's what's required to do your job and to do it well. But it doesn't mean they own you. Um, so I think before you receive that, it's important to thrash out what your boundaries are and to understand as well that sometimes they may change. So when you're younger and hungrier maybe in your career um, and all you have in your life is your career, you may be happy to pick up a phone whenever. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you've got a sick parent or a new baby or whatever it is. Maybe you're just not as as flexible um, and receptive as you may have once been. And the thing is to be able to have those communications with with your colleagues, with your with your manager. But unless you have a solid relationship with them in the first place, those communications are not necessarily um, well managed or well understood on both sides. So would that be your top tip, kind of communication being key on both sides? Communication and relationships. Yeah, they're they're the two. Um, you know, I go into organizations and do all sorts of highfalutin change management and psychometrics and coaching and leadership development and all sorts of stuff. But I'm telling you now, with all the, you know, qualifications and, you know, 20 odd years doing this in, in huge, big organizations, um, 
communications and relationships is what it comes down to. Yeah. If people are looking for more information on what you do, where, where can they go? Um, so my website is leishamagra.com. That's Leisha, L-E-I-S-H-A. Um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn by that name. And my Instagram is a little bit different. It's uh, start with the number three minutes. And I, I do quite a lot of well-being stuff on there. Amazing. That was a really, really nice chat. And uh, to be honest with you, I should just pack up my stuff and go home now for some work-life balance. But I do have to, <laughs> I'd have to finish and do the rest of the show. Chartered work and organisational psychologist, Leisha McGrath. Thank you very much for taking the time out to chat to us. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me.